0: amen if you have your bibles turn with me to isaiah chapter 51 we will begin in isaiah chapter 51 today as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled a certain hope in uncertain times we'll begin in isaiah 51 and hopefully get into isaiah 52 today as we continue our march through the book of isaiah and as we look at isaiah 51 and isaiah 52 today we see a literary device or a literary technique that Isaiah uses or that God uses through Isaiah in order to emphasize his points. And what we see here is repetition. Isaiah repeats words for emphasis. Uh, We're beginning in verse 9 today, so if you look in verse 9 just very quickly, it starts, awake, awake. Or verse 12, I, I am he. Or verse 17 wake yourself wake yourself chapter 52 verse 1 awake awake chapter 52 verse 11 depart depart you see Isaiah repeats himself in order to make his point uh, in this day before we had different fonts this is the way you would highlight or underline or put in italics or in bold Many of you went back to school this week, so if you were reading something, and in your reading there's something that's underlined and bold and italics, and then it has some writing under it, then there's more underlined and bold and italics and some writing under it, and then underlined bold and italics with some writing on it, then what would your conclusion be? Well, those must be subject headings, and all that that comes underneath the bold and underline must be about that topic, and that's what Isaiah is doing here with repetition. So these five places that he repeats himself will be the five places that we look for the sermon today, the five points, the five headings that we want to learn that God has to say to his people. I would point out that four of the five are double imperatives. They are double commands. So there's a sense of urgency here. In the text as we come to God's Word so let's look at it together the first place you see the repetition is in Isaiah 51 in verse 9 where we see there uh, where where the people of God are actually calling out to God is what we see here it's the people of God who speak first in this and God's people are crying out to him for help let's look at this first section together Isaiah chapter 51 beginning in verse 9 God's people say Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces that pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away, for the redeemed to pass over, and the ransom to the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word surely one of the reasons you have preserved it to this day is so that your people might hear you speak. And so I pray that you would open our ears, you would help us to hear these words that you have repeated, these words that you are emphasizing, and I pray that you would use this time and use your word and the preaching of your word to wake us up to call us back to yourself that we might walk more closely with you. Lord, help us to see you clearly. Help us to hear your voice louder than all the other voices in our culture. I pray that you would be willing to do that now, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Sometimes in life, It seems like God is asleep. Maybe he's just dozed off, right? Maybe he he is not aware of what's going on. He's just asleep at the wheel and things in, in this world have gotten off course. They've gotten off the path that they should be on. If you feel that way, I want you to know God's people have often felt that way. One of the most Often prayed prayers in the Bible is, How long? How long, O Lord, are you going to let the evil prosper? How long until you bring justice on the earth? How long until you move and make things right? How long will your people have to suffer? How long, O Lord? How long? Isaiah refers to God's people here as they will be prisoners of war in Babylon, and they cry out to God, and and, and they feel like he's asleep, and so they say, Awake! Awake! Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Show us that might that you have. They refer to the days of old. They say, awake is in the days of old, the generations of long ago. And then there's the reference to the Exodus. Uh, Rahab is a, is a reference to Egypt. Uh, and, and then God drying up the sea, of course, is parting the Red Sea in the Exodus. We sometimes think that everybody in the Bible lived at the same time, and they, they didn't. These folks lived at a time that the exodus had taken place five or six hundred years before they lived. So the exodus for them was the days of old, just like it is for us. And so they're saying, God, we heard about how you worked in the lives of your people a long time ago. Do that again today. Do that again for us. Where are you? What are you doing? We feel that way, don't we? When we read the news when we send our kids back to school, back into the culture, when we send them off to college. We feel that way as we enter the workplace. We feel that way many times in our own home. We feel that way as we experience hardship, as we're furloughed, as we're laid off. We feel that way as we struggle with our health or we see loved ones struggled with their health, and we say, Lord, where are you? Wake up. Intervene do something i want you to know that in these moments god invites us to cry out to him this type of of bold prayer does not offend god do you hear the tone of it it's it borders on disrespect like god what are you doing like i know better that what god should be doing than he does right Why are you taking so long? Like, my timing's better than his timing. Are you asleep? Where's all this goodness and greatness we've heard about that you've done before? Do that. It almost borders on disrespect. But I want you to know that this type of prayer does not offend God. Jesus taught us to pray. Watch this for your vocabulary work out there. He taught us to pray with impudence. You know what that means? Boldness, persistence, almost bordering on disrespect. He did it in Luke 11. I know that sounds crazy. Let me just show it to you. If you have your Bible, look at Luke 11. We read there, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so then he gives them the Lord's Prayer there in verses 2 through 4. 4. And then in verse 5, after teaching them the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in the bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then Jesus talks about our prayer life. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, Jesus asks, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus taught us to pray in this way he taught us to keep crying out to God he taught us to look to him he taught us that if we feel like God's asleep to say God I feel like you're asleep read the psalms we see the full range of human emotion there. there's a man after God's own heart pours out his heart to God God already knows you're thinking it anyway You might as well say it to him and allow him to work in you. Now, why should we do this? Why should we look to him? Well, the text tells us in Isaiah 51 verse 9, it says, because of the strength of his arm, because he's strong, because he can do stuff, because he can make it right. He has the power to do so because nothing is impossible for him. I love this imagery in verse 10 where they say, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? They're remembering that God's people were trapped. They were stuck between Pharaoh's army and the sea. And the sea was a barrier for the people of God. But they cry out to God. And God parted the sea. What was an obstacle for the people of God God made it a way for the people of God to move forward. So what verse 10 is saying is that we cry out to Him because God can make our obstacles a way for us to move ahead. God has promised to deliver His people who cry out to Him, so it's appropriate for us to cry out for deliverance, to cry out for help. It's okay to say to God, God Do for your people today what you did for them long ago. Move in the land. Move in the lives of your people. So let me ask you, do you cry out to God in this way? Do you cry out to him about the things that cause you anxiety, about the things that you worry about? Do you cry out about your kids? Do you cry out about your aging parents? Do you cry out for the economy? Do you cry out for your church? Do you cry out for our nation in an election year? Do you cry out to God over the things that are on your heart? Let me ask it like this. Do you spend at least as much time crying out to God as you spend worrying about that thing? Do you spend at least as much time crying out to God as you spend reading the news about it, Googling it? Do you spend at least as much time crying out to God as you tweet about it or post on Instagram or post on Facebook? Ouch. You know, the text calls us to call out to God because he can actually do something about what concerns our hearts. He can make it right. So cry out to him. In verse 12 of the text, we see more repetition. In verse 12, God answers his people's cry of, Awake, awake. He answers the awake, awake of verse 9 with, I, I am he who comforts you, God tells his people in verse 12. You hear what God is saying? God is reassuring his people. He is reassuring you right now. In this moment, God is not asleep. God hears the cry of your heart. The very hairs on your head are numbered. He knows how many hairs are on your head, and not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father, and you are worth far more to him than sparrows. So cry out to him. Our call to worship in Psalm 121 reminded us that he who watches over you will never sleep or slumber. God will never fail his people. But he has built waiting into our experience of him. God doesn't always do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. I have learned In the Christian life, that God's timing is very seldom the same as my timing. But God's timing is perfect. As the old gospel song says, he's an on-time God. So what do we do in the meantime? Look what God says. Let's read the rest of verse 12 and 13. God says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you? that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all the day. You hear what God's saying there? He says, I'm the one that comforts you. But you've gotten focused on what everybody's doing around you. You've gotten focused on people who are like grass, Right? They, they they sprout up and then they quickly fade away. He said you're getting focused on the horizontal, you're getting focused on everything in the world around. You're forgetting the vertical, you're forgetting God. Right? He says that you have forgotten God, your maker, verse 13 says. The one who made all of this, the one who put people in power that are in power, the one who takes, gives life and takes life away. God says, You've forgotten me, and as a result, what did He say? You fear continually all the day. Listen, when the world around us is bigger for us than God is for us, we're going to be afraid. That should be the right response. When we forget God, we're afraid. When we forget who God is and what he has done, we're afraid. The antidote to fear is to see God for who he is and to remember what he has done. That's where God goes. Look at verses 14 to 16. God, speaking of the one being oppressed, of his people in bondage, he says, He who is bowed down shall speedily be released he shall not die and go down to the pit neither shall his bread be lacking God saying I'm gonna provide for my people verse 15 I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar and the Lord of hosts is his name and I have put my words in your mouth we're gonna come back to verse 16 his word in our mouth that's important and covered you in the shadow with my hand God protects his people establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth, saying to Zion, you are my people. God's saying, look, I've got this. God's saying, I've got you. That God will provide for you. He will make sure you have what you need, that you have his word, and that you have his presence, and you have his protection, and you have his provision. So how do we respond? Look at verse 17. we got repetition again. So, how do we respond to this truth? God says, Wake yourself. Wake yourself. You see, we're the ones who are asleep. Or, as God says, in a drunken stupor, if we can't see that God is here for us. Look at it, verses 17 through 23. God says, Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she is born. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. He's saying, don't look amongst yourselves for the answer to this. It's not your strength. It's not your people that are going to solve this. Verse 19, these two things have happened to you. Who will console you? He's already told us, right? Verse 12, "I, I am he who comforts you. The Lord is the answer, not us. Verse 19, these two things have happened who will console you, devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord The Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more, and I will put it on the head of your tormentors, who have said to you, bow down, that we may pass over, and you have made your back like the ground, like the street, for them to pass over." God says, yes, my people, you have experienced hard times. God never downplays that. He doesn't minimize that. He doesn't deny that we face difficulties in the Christian life. Anybody who tells you that you don't experience difficulties in the the Christian life is wrong and not biblical. God says here, yes, you have tasted judgment. You have experienced hard times, but God says... If you think that this is out of my control, or that I've abandoned you, or that I'm asleep, then you need to wake yourself. And he repeats it, you wake yourself. It's God through Isaiah who first calls people to get woke. God originates that. That we would wake up to the reality of who he is. And this is why time in the Word is so important. Verse 16 talks about he's put his Word in our mouth. Because without time in his Word, listen to me now, without time is where we believe lies. Without the renewing of our mind through the the Word of God, then the voices around us become louder for us than the voice of God. And we begin to believe that all that we see is all that there is. We're blind to the unseen spiritual realities. We're asleep to what's really going on. And the Word wakes us up. So I got to ask you are you in the Word every day? Now, as I say that, listen, I know some of you come out of a background where this has become drudgery. It's become legalistic for you to check off the box to be in the Word every day. I get that. I understand that. But think about what God has called us to do so far. He's just said, cry out to me and listen to my Word. God's just talking about having a relationship with Him, right? I mean, just think about another person. You do realize you don't have a relationship with somebody that you don't regularly talk to, and they don't regularly talk to you, right? If you never talk to them and they never talk to you, you don't really have a relationship with that person. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, talk to me. Cry out to me in prayer. And let me talk to you through my word. Let's just have a relationship with each other. This is not drudgery. This is not a box that we check off. I understand that sometimes we think we're really busy and we would be more productive and that's something that we let go but let's just be honest let me just I'll start I'll be honest if I don't have time with the Lord if I don't have time in prayer if I don't have time in his word I'm no good to my family and the things that they need me to do I'm no good to you as a pastor and in my job if I'm not believing the truth if I'm believing lies I'm not a good citizen of this community. That's the lie. I think I can do all these things without being in the Word and without having a relationship with God, without being connected to Him. And that's not productive, it's counterproductive. If what I do, if what I say, if my reactions to things are out of fear because the world around me and the voices around me are louder for me than the voice of God is for me. So I call you, (laughs) cry out to God. Get in the Word. Just have a relationship with Him. And God fuels that. He shows us how to do that. And He does it in this next repetition. Look at Isaiah 52 and verse 1. He says, awake, awake, God's calling to His people. God wakes us up here with the unsurpassed beauty and sweetness of the gospel. You may say to yourself, well, hold on now, I thought that was in the New Testament. We're over here in the Old Testament, right? Look at it with me. I see the concept of the good news of the gospel multiple times as we walk through Isaiah 52. And the explicit words, if you want to see that, multiple times. The good news is that word for gospel. So this morning, let's just take a minute, just take a a few minutes to let the Word wash over you. Have your mind renewed. Focus to hear these images, to apply them. Allow the Spirit to apply the preaching of the Word to your heart right now. Let's just do that for a few moments. Image one, look at Chapter 52, verses 1 and 2. God says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. The image is is that of cleansing. These folks have been prisoners of war in a foreign land. They haven't been able to observe the Sabbath. They haven't been able to make sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. They haven't kept the holy days. They haven't eaten a kosher diet. They haven't done all the things that they associated with being made right with God. And so they're hesitant to come back to him because they feel dirty. They feel there's a barrier. They feel like God's going to hold his nose and keep him at arm's length. Maybe you feel that way. There was a time you were close to God and you've run away and betrayed him, or you've never been close to God at all, and you're afraid that if you came into a church, the building's going to fall down on you. Maybe you feel like you can't just come into God's presence. Maybe you feel dirty. And this image shows us that there is cleansing. There are beautiful garments for the people of God. And it's not that the people make themselves clean. We just saw that the people are not the answers. It's, it, it's God gives them beautiful garments to put on. You may say, well, that's a New Testament concept, right? God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. 21. That's New Testament stuff. That's Isaiah stuff. That's his concept as well. Read Isaiah 61. The passage that Jesus reads when he begins his earthly ministry. When he preaches Isaiah 61 and verse 1, I have been what? Appointed. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord's appointed me to bring good news, to bring the gospel. And then in Isaiah 61 and verse 10, you see this concept, because it's a concept in Isaiah. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Jesus illustrated it by the man who had two sons. And one said, Father, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Just give me my share of the estate. I wish you were dead. It would be better for me if I just had your stuff instead of you. And his father gives him his inheritance, and he goes off to a foreign land where he wastes the entire fortune in wild living. His brother says he spent it on prostitutes and, and partying. And then a famine comes in the land, and, and, and he's feeding the pigs, which is a horrible job for a Jewish boy. He longs to fill himself with the slop that he's giving the pigs. And he's like, look, the hired people at my father's house have it better than this, so I'm going to go back and tell my dad I'll work for him. If he'll just hire me, it's a better life than what I have now. And he comes back to his father who sees him while he's a long way off. Jesus tells this story to illustrate how God the Father responds when wayward sons and daughters come back home. And so if you feel like God would hold his nose and hold you at arm's length, you need to read the story that Jesus tells that the father sees his son from a long way off, and he runs out to him, which you didn't do as a stately head of household, and he hugs him and he kisses him. And he says, take the filthy rags off of him and put on him robes and sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. Listen, that's how God responds when we come to him. Not that we have to clean ourselves up first, but that he cleans us up. There is... Cleansing available with the Lord. Look at image 2. Verse 2 says, Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Israel. Image 2. Freedom. Loosing the bonds of what what has this captive... You may think, well, I'm not captive to anything. Jesus, John chapter 8 says, if anyone has sinned, then you were a slave to sin. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, but we are captive to so many things. We typically think of addictions like drugs or alcohol or pornography. For some of us, it's lust. For some of us, it's just a certain body image that we have to have. For some of us, it's the approval of men, respect from people. We're addicted to that. We're captivated by it. We're slaves to what people think. For some of us, it's materialism. It's consumerism. I want to have options. I want what I want when I want it. For some of us, we're slaves to the idea of entitlement, That I should have what I want. Oh, we're slaves to so many things. And God comes here in the gospel and he says, look, I can loose the bonds that restrain you. There is freedom available from what enslaves you. How does that happen? Image three, look at verse three. For thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. Now, forget what you know about redemption. I know that's a church word. These people, when they heard redemption, they knew it meant that if you had a debt that you could not pay, then you became a slave to somebody and you worked off that debt and you weren't free until you paid all that you owed. But redemption happened when a friend or a loved one paid the debt that you couldn't pay so that you could be free from that servitude. And God is saying here, my people who have a debt that they can't pay will be redeemed without money. It's redemption by grace. That we bring nothing to the table. There's not anything that we offer to God. But that God does everything it takes for us to be made right with him so that we can be cleansed. So that we can be free. (laughs) Do you see the images of the gospel? Do you see the concepts here in cleansing, freedom, redemption, grace? And if you want to see the word explicitly, look in verses 7 through 10. I see it twice. Isaiah says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings gospel, good news, who publishes peace, who brings gospel, good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I always thought this was such a weird passage of scripture. Growing up, I didn't read the Old Testament much. Of course, I was familiar with how beautiful are the feet from when Paul quotes it in the New Testament in Romans. That's how I knew about it, right? Now, I thought that was weird because a lot of times feet aren't really beautiful to me. I don't get what you're saying there, God. What he's saying is how beautiful it is that god sends messengers with the good news of the gospel to wake us up to free us from what binds us to cleanse us without money without cost Of course, I guess the greatest example of this in times before Christ would be that Greek warrior who ran from the Battle of Marathon back to Athens to announce victory. Good news, we've won, we've conquered the Persians. And why did he run? Why did he do that? It's so the city of Athens would know that the Greek army had won. Because in the city of Athens, if you look out on the harbor, there were the Persian fleet, the Persian navy were surrounding them. And so the warrior runs back to say, look, the Greek army has beaten the Persians, so don't surrender to the enemy. Don't give in to him because we've won. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying, did you hear the good news? The good news is not work hard to win the victory for God. The good news is your God reigns. Your God is victorious. So don't surrender to the enemy. Don't think that what you see immediately in front of you is all that there is because that's not reality. That's not the whole story. Oh, do you hear the good news today? The good news of peace, the good news of happiness, the good news of joy, the good news of comfort. The good news that salvation has been secured for you at no cost to you. So wake up to the truth and let's, let's no longer surrender to the enemy. Let's persevere in the moment because the victory has been won. Let's let these truths empower us. There's one more repetition I want to look at with you quickly Isaiah 52 and verse 11. God calls to his people and he says, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste, you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. What does this repetition mean? Isaiah is speaking to people who will be prisoners of war in Babylon and God's saying, I'm going to free for them, I'm going to raise up Cyrus the Persian, I'm going to conquer them. But once your freedom has been gained, you have to leave Babylon and go back to Zion. You've got to go back to Jerusalem. You have to depart that place. God's saying, after I bring you freedom and I redeem you, which city will be your home? The Babylon of this world or Zion, the city of God? He calls to us in verse 11. He calls to us. And he asks us to declare our citizenship, our identity, our loyalty. Do we belong to the Babylon of this world or the Zion of God? God's calling us, you and me, to a point of decision. He's calling us to turn from other things and to turn to him. We often shorten the gospel here to God loves broken and messed up people. But he loves us too much to leave us in our brokenness and in our mess and in our slavery and in our striving to justify ourselves. Israel had to leave Egypt. These prisoners of war, that the exiles that Isaiah is writing to, had to leave Babylon. And we, too, have to decide to, rep- to depart. This is a call to repentance. To turn from those things that lull us to sleep. Those things that put us in a drunken stupor to turn from the focusing on ourselves and the world around us. Let's be clear. God is not calling us to withdraw or isolate from the world. He's calling us to be connected to him while we live life in this world. As Jesus said, He's calling us to be in the world but not of it, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because we have a relationship with the God who reigns, with the God who can set people free, with the God who redeems for no money at all. He's calling us to be distinct, He's calling us to be different, He's calling us to be salt and light. I want you to know this week we'll be releasing a video as a leadership where we outline a process that we've been working on for the last few months that helps people here at Redeemer Church who live in this culture learn to live in relationship with Jesus and walk in the culture in which we live. We're very excited about it. We want you to be excited about it. We want you to commit to this process. So that as we live life as the people of God, His kingdom would come more and more, and His will would be done more and more in this place as we live and move and have our being. As you look for that video, let me just remind you. Our God reigns. And if you don't have a relationship with Him, He is calling you into a relationship with Himself. He'll cleanse you. He gives you the robes of righteousness. He works in your heart. You come to him. And not only does he call us, but for those of us who are in a relationship with us, he is sending us into the world as messengers with the good news of peace and joy and salvation that's available at no cost. The text says God watches over us as we go and that he will return in full and final and eternal victory. So in the meantime, as we face the struggle, let's cry out to him. Let's depend on him for help. And let's do the work that he calls us to do while there is still time. Let's find comfort in him. Let's wake up. Let's call others to wake up while there's still time. The tone of the gospel is double imperative urgency may what is true drive the things that we do let's pray and ask god to do that heavenly father thank you for your word thank you that you're not asleep thank you that you are as faithful to your people today as you were long ago thank you that you're a god who cleanses us who frees us from our slavery to sin that you're a God who redeems us even though we bring nothing to the table. I just pray that the beauty of these things would would wake us up and call us back into a relationship with you, that we might be salt and light in a culture that is very dark. Please come and do that in us and through us for your glory. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.